Hi, my name is Peter, and this is Bottled by a Wine Podcast. In today's podcast, we introduce Monsieur Laurent Ponceau from Domaine Ponceau. Laurent is quite a character in the wine world, making different choices compared to most of his colleagues in Burgundy. The Domaine have a long history and a very important one as well. It is from their rose in Glory La Roche that most of the Dijon clothes originates. This is truly a unique Domaine, and Laurent tells the story with great passion. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi Laurent, and welcome. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> um, I thought maybe you could start out with just giving us a brief history explanation. So what happened and uh, how did it all start in 1872? And, and just a brief explanation of where you started and how you came for today. Well, it's very easy. We, we, are, we are from a family uh, that is very um, <coughs> old in Burgundy. Our family started to be... a uh, uh, hotelier, I mean hotel manager and, and restaurateur in uh, all along the river Saône. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have records until the middle age of this family. And so they were quite wealthy and another part of the family was more innovative and uh, they were living in Saint-Romain in, uh, in south of Côte de Beaune, uh, owning the Chateau de Saint-Romain and there were 11 children uh, all of them did things which which were unusual for that time. One of them traveled all, all around the planet and found some spices in in what we call Orient in French. It's a, today Middle East, so to say, and they invented the the nice uh, Armenian paper that you burn to make a nice smell everywhere. So he invented that. It was in 1850 or something like that. And his brother, uh, younger brother, had to go to the war against the Prussians. So when he came back, uh, 27 years old, he didn't know what to do. So he found out that one estate was for sale in Maurice Saint-Denis, and he, he decided to buy it. So he became a winemaker. Uh, he was young, uh, he was rich, so he could buy a lot of things, but he was gambling. So the problem is that after, at, the, at the end of his life, uh, all the belongings disappeared. <laughs> so only a few vines were left like the Clos de la Roche and the Maurice Saint-Denis Clos de Montluisan, mostly. So when my grandfather, uh, that was a, a diplomat, a doctor in law, uh, decided to take over in his 40s, mid-40s, uh, he found an estate which was a little uh, upside down. Uh, so with his brother, a uh, French ambassador, they decided to buy more Clos de la Roche. This is how we became the biggest owner in, of Clos de la Roche, uh, at that time, we owned 3.5 hectares of Claude La Roche, and the 3.5 were already classified as Claude La Roche forever, I would say, since the name Claude La Roche was on the label. Um, so we, altogether, 4.5 hectares of Claude La Roche were named Claude La Roche. The rest is, is what we call extension. So we own 3.5 in the 4.5. So it's, it's not bad, actually. And so my grandfather was, um, also, as I said, uh, doctor in law. So when he came to Burgundy, he was noticing that uh, we had a lot of uh, problems with uh, people selling a wine with another name. You see, to negotiations because the, the the market was made by the negotiants. Wine vine growers would farm the vines, make the wine as winemakers, but sell the barrels very quickly to negotiants. So. I would say 95 to 98 percent of the wine was sold by negociant. So, but the, the, the system was not really uh, clean, I would say, fair. So my, gran- my grandfather decided to try to find a way to control that. 
So he was the first to think about the classification in AOC, AOP today. So, uh, and he wrote a lot of things as, as a doctor in law, he could do it. And he worked with, uh, Senator Capu and, uh, Dangerville and Gouge, other winemakers, to, uh, create the AOC in Burgundy. So already an invention, an, an innovation, so to say. Then later on, my father took over, uh, they worked together with my father, he took over, and in the meantime, both were also focused on the selection of plants, because the vineyards in Burgundy were a little sick, so to say. A lot of viruses, uh, viruses and thick sickness were there, and so they decided to try to find a way <coughs> to replant nice, unhealthy plants. So my father collected, in the early 60s, a lot of uh, selected plants, that became later on, with the help of the French government, uh, what we call today clones. The word is not the best, because today we know that a clone is modified by genetic. This was just a system to, <coughs> to uh, uh, cut branches on a nice plant that we have selected during 20 or 25 years, and then reproduce this plant uh, to the infinity. So this is, the, the word clone for me is not appropriate, but let's, let's go on. So, Today, all the what very famous Dijon clone, clones of, Berg, of Pinot Noir are, are mainly all coming from our uh, land of Claude La Roche, and my father did this. So this is the history, but in the meantime, we always focused on, on the producing the best grapes possible, because you cannot make a good wine with bad grapes. Very difficult, so to say. Or you have to add a lot of things to that. So we... We have had in the family this idea to uh, respect nature, and when I took over myself after having done my own life outside the family, in my uh, early 30s, I came down uh, to Burgundy back, and my idea was to really do nothing. I, I don't say I'm the laziest winemaker, but I tried to find everything possible to let nature do the work. So we have to be just the slave of nature and help her when she needs, but not the master of anything. So, having that in mind, <coughs> I have been uh, going back to the history of Burgundy, 2,000 years of history, which is something uh, very important to say. Uh, we think that it's only 1,000 since the monks uh, in the Middle Age, but the monks were people that were the first capable to write down everything, uh, while uh, mm -hmm. they had already one millennium of history. So, I prefer to go back to the Roman time, because in the first millennium, we have had uh, a lot of Im improvement, and that uh, that the monks that the monks didn't invent, but but wrote down and maybe uh, uh, put it in a in a kind of a, a method or system. So um, going back to this history, I found out that a lot of things were good, and everything that was not good was uh, due to the fact that they had no tool to help uh, when nature was a little uh, sick. So I tried to find out in the new technology, remember we were living in the 20th century and now the 21st when I started, and, uh, and we have a, a lot of technology available. So what I did is not to take a technology uh, that already existed, but I tried to um, invent with the new technology a way to farm, to uh, make, make wine, to age wine, and, and to protect the bottles. So this was my idea. So I, I used to be a geek, so to say. I was the first to have a, a website on, on, a, on a wine, wine uh, company on, on the earth. Uh, it was in 1989, for example. So I did it myself. 
I programmed myself with uh, <laughs> under DOS, you know, the yeah, OS. Yeah. Uh, it was not the wazy wig at that time, so to make a line that was flashing, it took me two, three lines of uh, pro programmation. So it was fair. So just to say that I was always interested. I was always interested in technology, to, uh, and we invented a lot of things. So in, in our new website that just launched today, uh, there is a list of the innovations that we have uh, done in the family. So this brings to today. Today, Domaine Ponceau uh, is uh, not that well-known because I don't want. It's too much well-known. Uh, we are we have a lot of things that makes us number one, so to say, some places. We are the only winemaker in Burgundy to produce 12 out of the 33 concrete, for example. We are the major uh, producer of Claude Laroche, of Griot Chambertin, the only owner and producer of Moray Saint-Denis, Claude de Montluison. So it makes, but I don't care. What, what, what is my, my idea is to share the wine. So in order to share the wine, you have to do the wines for yourself first, as you like it, but in much respect of nature. We are in Burgundy, the only place on earth where we grow vines, and we have on a very small surface that makes 70 kilometers long on one kilometer wide in, a, in average, we have 1,500 appellations. The, nowhere else on the planet you have so many uh, patchwork of appellations. So if we do wine, if we farm uh, with methods and systems, we erase this diversity. So my deal is to put this diversity first. So um, everything I do is in, on that purpose. And so uh, Domaine Ponceau today is um, 12 Grand Cru, 3 Premier Cru, 4 Village, and 1 Bourgogne Rouge. That's it. But in order to get one case of Bourgogne Rouge from Domaine Ponceau, you have to buy a palette of Claude La Roche. This is the contrary. Uh, so it's the other way around in yeah. some ways. And um, we are not very well known in Europe because I didn't focus my efforts when I started in 1982 to travel around the planet uh, in Europe where my colleagues were already installed. I went directly to Asia, to America, to these kind of places. My grandfather was selling to America already for to the vintage 1934. So. We have a long experience of, uh, of bottling at, at the winery. So I started and we are very, very well known in some countries like Japan, like, like, uh, like, uh, I don't know, Taiwan, uh, Singapore. We have a, a big market in Asia. Uh, today we sell to 49 countries. Uh, and the maximum is 8%. 8% of my production goes to US. 8% goes to France, so uh, I, I don't go over France. France is 8%, so no one else will get more than 8%. I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about how you make your wines, and uh, starting in, in, in the vineyard. Um, a question could be that uh, you don't farm organic, and you don't farm biodynamic, or at least you don't say so, but you take some of the principles and some you don't. Could you explain a little bit about your For philosophy? Me, yeah, I will explain you. It's, it's not a philosophy, it's a way of thinking. We have, we have been farming, as I said, 2,000 years in, in Burgundy, but on the planet, 7 to 8,000 years. So in the last 40 years, we have been obliged to reinvent everything. And I think that what we are doing in our estate is not to in, invent or, or, but again, as I said previously, I checked what were the past. And I took in the past, especially in the farming, a lot of things. 
I will give you just one example to tell you that I don't need to be uh, labeled biodynamy or uh, organic or whatever. I am one of the rare winemakers that decide the date of grape picking in June. So people think I am crazy. No, I am not. I learned from old people in my village when I was a, a kid. A lot of things on birds, grass, uh, trees, uh, flowers, things like that. And the relation of all these elements with the vines, with the grapes, with the weather. And so uh, when I decide my date of grape picking, it's not uh, something like, uh, like a, a crazy guy. It's just based on when is this flower blooming? Wh where does this typical bird make his net? Uh, in the tree, up, in the middle, down. When is this grass uh, growing beside the blooming of this flower? Then we find a date. And then we have uh, the moon, the equinox, a lot of things like that together with this around this date. And then we find always five days of bad weather someplace in, in, in the fall. So I know where it will be. I know. Not, up to now, 98% of the time I was right. So you never changed the date? No. No? Never? I did in 03. 03. Because we, the, 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 we knew we would have a very hot summer, but that Not hot. That hot yeah. And I changed this year two days. Two days. This year only. In 03 it was a week. But otherwise, no. This is to say that we have no method, no system. I don't want to have a label biodynamic. Uh, I don't say this is bad, but it's based on, on, the, on, the, on the fact that people forgot that nature was at the origin of everything. So it's human being. When you invent something, you put a name on it. Uh, so I don't need that. I don't need that. I just follow uh, uh, what we have done in the past. And today we have tools, you know, uh, that help us to do it. For example, I don't, I don't need a horse in my vineyards. Okay, it's nice. It's folklore. It's maybe traditional. But think that out of the 2,000 years of history of farming in Burgundy, horses stayed only 60 years. Because before Philoxera, we had no horses in the vineyards. It was planted randomly with 35,000 plants per hectare. Every, everything was done by hand. So the, the horses were just carrying uh, the people and the tools to the vineyards. And then we, we made rows in the vineyards. Then we installed the, the horses in the rows. But 60 years out of 2,000, this is not historical. It's just starting to be traditional. So I don't use, but I have a tractor with low pressure wheels, with a computer on it, with a lot of things that makes that I, I, I respect much, much more the soil than even a horse, because a horse is heavier than my tractor per square centimeter. These kind of things are making that we farm really in, in, in accordance with, uh, with nature, with, with what nature gives, with uh, the rain, the, the sun, and so on. Last year, for example, 15, no, this year, 15, we have had a, a big, a big uh, heat in the summer. So we could not farm the vines as the previous year. Uh, we had uh, to let a lot of leaves on top as a canopy, so to protect the, the, the berries against the sun, to, not to be grilled, and to make uh, a little more shadow and freshness underneath, and so on. And we have done. And we have a very good uh, crop. All my colleagues says, "Oh, it's a, it's a low-level uh, yield." I have a good a good yield this year, just because we didn't do like year last year. If you go to school, you learn how to make it. You do every, every every time the same. You see, not thinking why you do it. So I try to learn everything.
I'm very curious in life. And, uh, so do you have a more consistent crop than, than many others? No, well, yeah, it's consistent, it's low, low level, yeah, it's a low yield. Yeah, it's consistent, but no, I, I mean, I take risk as well. So I, I take risk uh, when I decide the date of grape picking and uh, during three weeks I see my colleagues picking and not me, I could I could think that I am crazy myself. I can, and, but I sleep well at night. No, no, no big trouble. So, so no, uh, everything is a question of good sense, I think, and observation, observation of nature. And I do very easy. <laughs> but how do you keep uh, keep it to a minimum? How do you keep uh, the yields low? Uh, because I know you don't green harvest. Uh, but what do you do instead? Oh, we prune short. You prune short. You, you can, you, we, we prune in order to make the best quality possible. So we have a system of pruning which is method Hoya, like apple, so to say, uh, which is an old system. Uh, we, uh, we fertilize uh, if needed. Uh, I uh, made a program in 1985 uh, on a computer for fertilizing. So every single spot of my, of my winery uh, is analyzed. I make analysis of the of the soil, <coughs> the underground, and the leaves, and I do that, and I put that on a spreadsheet. But I made a small program for that, and then I know for since 1985, every three years, every spot is analysed. So I know what is missing, what is going on, uh, how the magnesium is migrating from from the soil to the to the branches and then to the leaves, and so this we know. So some years we don't add anything. Some years we just correct, and if there is something missing deeply, I I, I correct it in ten years, not give uh, in one year what the wine is uh, the vines is needing. Just do it slowly. So this is how we do. But then you take the decision again earlier than many of your colleagues, because you you prune, and instead of when you have the grapes. So I guess that's in some ways more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, you is, have to I tell you, more. yeah, it's taking risk. Yeah. But I used to be a mountain climber, high level, so I took risk, but limited, because I'm here to talk to you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you or know, you took, I have you done things right. which were crazy, but I was at the limit of the risk. Uh, I don't want to die myself if if I climb to uh, badly uh, mountain, so I don't want to make my vineyards uh, collapse. So I I take the risk up to a certain point. Um, I don't do anything. Unlike my colleagues, I just take more risk probably. And I prune short. We leave uh, five to six buds per branch uh, instead of, uh, I don't know, eight, ten or twelve. And thinking that if we don't have frost, if we don't have hail, if we don't have odium or mildew, then we will em- eliminate one grape of t- on two uh, a month or a month and a half before the harvest. For me, green harvest is against nature. Green harvest is something that I've, I've never done. I will never. Um, what we do is we sort out in the vineyards. If there is a problem with rot, with any any kind of problems, we don't wait till the harvest to sort out. So this is not a green harvest. This is sorting out in the vineyards. So, so this it's is this like a sorting table. Yeah. So you do that sorting table for me is too late. Okay. Too late. You have to bring the grapes healthy from the vineyards. So everything you harvest is going into the fermenting vats. Yeah. So there is a lot, lot to say, but I don't want to give you too more, too much of, of, of my my system. It's maybe I don't know myself. You know, I I'm, I have one rule: is not to have a rule. Yeah, of course. Um, then, 
one of the things that you're often known by, uh, for is, is low sulfur. So you sulfur when you receive the grapes, and, and then you use a blanket of, um, of carbon dioxide uh, to protect uh, the wines. So you have a very low sulfur. How does it... Uh, how does it work with your wine? Because I know you, you check a lot of your wines, but you don't. You have a lot of technology, but it seems like you use it very passive. So you you control or you notice what's going on in the in in your wines, but you don't really react with a lot of uh, technology. Well, we do. We do actually. Uh, the reason why I don't use sulfur dioxide uh, in aging the wines, uh, the barrels, is based on on observation again. Uh, when I, I came back to the winery, we were, I was using sulfur dioxide as an antioxidizing uh, from the vineyards. So, some years I don't use sulfur dioxide on the grapes. Some years when they are very healthy, why would I, would I need it? So I do that only when needed. And the sulfur on grapes is antiseptic. It's to clean the berries from some some bacteria which are not not uh, good to, uh, to put in the vat. But after one day. This sulfur is already uh, totally reduced by the oxygen because we, we pump out, uh, you know, to excite the yeasts and 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 and, and to uh, destroy this sulfur. Then we have wine. We put the wine in barrels. What is what is uh, the barrel doing? Why do we put wine in a barrel instead of uh, stainless or concrete or whatever? It's because the wine needs to breathe, and the oxygen that goes through the wood into the into the, the barrel is an element that make the wine go on doing his uh, chemical reaction so to say until the time the, the wine is ready to, to be bottled we need to give to the wine some oxygen so what i did i am an enologist uh, i went to university to learn enology not to act but to understand so i understood that the wine needs needs oxygen but how much so i made an experimentation a long long time ago to know how much how much time it would take to give 100 ppm of oxygen in a full barrel, whether it's brand new or old. Old means three years to 60 years, no problem, it's the same. So it, it took 10 months to give this 100 ppm of oxygen to uh, uh, the wine in a, through a new barrel, and 22, more than double, from in an, an old one. So I said to myself, if since the Roman times we use barrels that are aged, because the new oak is a new fashion as well, it's based on observation. Why do they do more, more or less two years in Burgundy, they do more in uh, Barolo, they do differently in other places? Why, in average, in Burgundy, we, we, we kept it two years in old barrels? So I, I, I presume this is because the wine needs a certain amount of oxygen in this given time. So um, my system is we have to give it to the, to the barrel, but not more. So in order to do that, we have to be very uh, cautious when we do racking, when we, do, uh, when we have to tap the barrels very often to be sure that there is no uh, oxygen on top. And so I said to myself, we do, uh, in order to be sure, we add sulfur dioxide as an antioxidizing. So if we miss one week, to top the barrel, if we do uh, one more racking or so, we will have uh, no problem. But I say to myself, if we find another way, instead of adding something into the wine to protect it against oxygen, would be good. After fermentation, we have a cover of CO2, a lot of CO2 given by the fermentation. So we have this. So it's a good, good way. So why don't we use a, a heavy gas 
So I checked and I made four years experimentation from uh, 84 when I had my uh, diploma of enologist until until uh, 88. In four years, I knew that if we use uh, either nitrogen or CO2, the best is a blend of both uh, on wines for racking, for, for protecting. It works. It's heavier. We are sure there is no, no problem of oxidation. So I, I decided to go to go on. And since 1988, I don't use sulfur dioxide. Uh, Systematically, I use it as a medicine, as a, as a way to cure a wine that, or a barrel that has troubles. I, I, I guess you don't take a pill of aspirin every morning thinking you may have a headache. You take the pill when you have the headache. It's the same for the wine. Why would you put sulfur dioxide in, on, in a barrel when the barrel doesn't need it? When the barrel uh, has a volatile acidity that goes very high, then you cure it. You save it. This is my way of thinking about this. And so, I have used sometimes. O3, for example, was a vintage with a very high uh, uh, volatile acidity everywhere, so I used a little of sulfur dioxide before the bottling, but mainly I don't. Again, it's based on good sense. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, you had a new winery in 2002, and you, you write on your own uh, website, because I haven't seen the one launched today, uh, that you have a new ultra-modern bottling unit since 2010. And I thought we should talk a little bit about closures, but also uh, about how you make your wine in this, uh, I would say, a little bit of high-tech uh, winery um, with, uh, with gravity and... Uh, yeah, well, the gravity is easy. We are we are living on a hill, so it was easier to uh, build a new facility with, uh, with different levels. We have four levels upside down. And we we uh, when we built it in 2001, uh, already in eight, in 89 we made one already with gravity, and we added one level, one one floor to uh, in 2001. So from 02, yes, we are really uh, very good in gravity. But I found out that we can uh, create an artificial gravity as well, <laughs> again with neutral gas. So from uh, with with the new bottling line, we don't use anymore the gravity. We don't need. We install a system that uh, push the wine from the tanks directly to the bottling line and uh, create a gra uh, artificial gravity. So we have exactly the same uh, pressure as uh, the, the nature gives. So very easy. This is, this is possible today because the technology has in, I mean, uh, increased the capacity of doing things. So this is how we, we do. Everything we do today is based on the technologies that are, exist. And if it don't, it doesn't exist. Sometimes we invent it. For example, we have we have launched a system of control of temperature over the vats uh, ten years ago, uh, all all by computer. And I can do from here. I can do with my iPad. Uh, I can check my vats and decide that, that this one must not go that high and whatever. So this is something. In, and we don't move the wine. The wine stays in the vat. But we have a system that cools or heat the the the, the, the inside of the vat. Just with new technologies, this could not exist uh, uh, even 50 years ago, uh, for sure, 200 years ago, or 500, for sure not. And the reason why Dijon is the capital of mustard is because to make mustard, you need vinegar. And where do you find vinegar? But in the wine region. Of course. Because uh, in, in the past, they could have several <laughs> vintage in a row. They could not produce wine because it was warm, and were, when it's too warm, uh, the fermentation goes too high in, in temperature and it turns into vinegar. Yeah. So they would deliver the vinegar to Dijon and they would, they would make, make mustard with that. There yeah, I, I guess it's very easy to make uh, <laughs> vinegar for wine producers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, technology, again, 
you'll see in my new website that we uh, we don't do a lot of explanations, but we just say what we are doing now. Uh, technology is great. But you had uh, some new closures uh, a few years ago. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about about them? Again, this is the same way of thinking. <clears throat> we have been using a lot of things uh, from from a long time uh, that were the less bad mean to do things. What I try to find is the best, not the less bad. And uh, about closures, the, the cork has always been a good thing. But with troubles, first the, the first problem is sometimes you have a the TCA bacteria that goes in <coughs> and makes the the wine. Uh, with a bad taste, corked taste, and then, but this is not the most important because it's when you select the course carefully, it can be um, two per per thousand, uh, maximum one per percent or whatever. So uh, the main problem is that when you age wines long time, you have a difference between bottles, which which is incredible. So you can have a bottle which is thirty years old, great, fantastic. You want to have a sister bottle that is in your cellar since the same day and it's a disaster only due to the porosity of the cork the quality of the, por the cork the elasticity of the cork so the components of the cork so what i did uh 20 years ago i tried to find uh, an alternative to natural cork again with te through technology so i give to two laboratories one in switzerland one in italy a list of questions uh of problems that has have to be resolved and in Italy, one company found uh, the way to make yes to all my questions, answer yes to all my questions. So this is based on that. My new cork, my new closure is based on this. Actually, this is a copy of the best natural cork. Porosity, elasticity, uh, resistance to cold, to heat, to warm, to whatever. It reacts exactly like a natural cork, but it's made with three different polymers. Polymers is a nice word to say plastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a different way, a different kind of plastic, I guess. But so. but this is, I would say, a noble plastic. Uh, the part that we call the shield, which is in, in contact with the wine, is made out of the same uh, plastic of, of polymer that is used to build artificial hearts. So I believe that if you can put that in the body of human beings, it's easier, easy to put that on a wine. The wine is still alive as well, but... Uh, there is no big, 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 big deal. So it, it consists of different parts, yeah. and then you have a layer that's in contact with the wine. Yeah. But what about if I have to open it? it will it be more or less the same? As, uh... It's exactly the same. You take any kind of corkscrew, you have to go, but you have to go all the way through. Okay. And you have to go through the, the shield, which is at the bottom. And then you can extract it. You, you, you could think this is glued to the neck of the bottle, but it's not the case. It's just because the pressure on the neck is perfect. And it's perfect after four, 400 years. We have been doing experimentation on acceleration on 400 years to know if anything can change. Can change. It's totally inert, so nothing can change. There is no element that moves to the wine. There is no element that changes the, 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 the consistency or whatever, or porosity. Everything is the same. So uh, because it's a very uh, uh, high pressure on the neck of, of the bottle, it's a little more difficult to extract it. But it's not due to the fact that it's glued on the side. But you, you can use and reuse it again to uh, if you don't finish the bottle. But if it's a good bottle, finish it. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> How did your market react to that? Because I think there's a lot of uh, users who've done that. And, and a typical thing I see is that they do it on their kind of uh, entry-level wines. They put a Stirling or uh, another closer on, mm -hmm. on it. But on their top wines, they, they still use the cork. 
Uh, but you changed all of them, and, and, and how did people react with the uh, Kodi Lavash? For, uh, again, it's a, it's a question of, of uh, mentality. People are thinking that to make wine, you need a horse in the vineyards, you need, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, girls uh, dressed like in, in the Middle Age or whatever, and you need a cork. Why? I, pre I, I think I, I produce very authentic and respectful of the, of, the, of the appellation wines. Then, when they are done, I want to protect them. So I am living in the 21st century. I use all the tools that my, my, my time gives to me. So people react mostly nicely. I guess we lost 15% of our clients. And I don't want to be bad saying that I don't care. But uh, uh, if people are not capable to think that I, d I, I do that for them in order to have a good wine 20 years later, 30 years later, or a wine for their children or grandchildren that will be kept perfectly. If these people doesn't understand, what can I do? What can I do? But yeah, I, I lost, when I started lunch, to launch it, I, I lost 15%. Now, some of these people went back to uh, think of what I did, I've done, and they come back as clients. But I think the market is not totally ready due to the fact that the uh, the critics that the 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 the, the winemakers are shy on this, uh, but all of and nearly all my colleagues are, tr are doing, are trying, are doing tests. I did tests with the Italian wines during ten years, so I don't need to make tests with my wines. And I, I give you a very funny story. Uh, I I, I produced Morachet for the vintage 2010. So the first bottle of Morachet ever opened is when I took with me in New York into a restaurant and the sommelier, it was a girl, opened this bottle of Morache. She came to me totally disappointed, like like uh, nearly crying. How come we have a plastic cork on a Morache? I explained her why. And now she came, it's, uh, it's something like, uh, it was in 2012, so some years ago, and now she has this cork in her uh, pocket every day. She says, this is just fantastic to have a Morache bottle with a plastic cork on it. This is great because when you know why, it's to protect the Morache, to make the Morache uh, live a long, longer life. She liked it. You just mentioned uh, Montrachet, and it, it's one of the, the vineyards that you've been adding to your portfolio in, mm -hmm. in recent time, and you stopped your history lesson uh, about the domain, more or less, when you entered. So what happened in, in recent time? You had some... Some more. <clears throat> well, I had the, I had bought opportunities to uh, to add some wines to my portfolio by by joint ventures. Uh, some fellows would say négociant, and I say okay, it's négociant because I don't own the vineyards, but it's I don't own all the vineyards I work on. Uh, we have the sharecropping, metayage in French, or or this kind of thing. So it's a new new system. So I, I don't buy grapes just because I want to have this appellation or whatever. Each time I had a new uh, the new appellation was uh, an opportunity, uh, meeting some friends, winemakers, and say, well, okay, we can work together, and so on. For sure, I give money to them uh, to have that uh, these grapes. Uh, so, no, it's a joint venture based on the fact that we have to work the vineyard the same way. I, I, I pick my grapes if, if, if I can. I decide when. Uh, so we go further than a, a proper negotiation system, so, so to say. It's, it's a joint venture. Uh, every single wine that I produce today is produced my way, and the farming as well.
and it was only based on the opportunities. I don't know what happened, maybe the financial crisis of 2008, that helped me a little, and my banker still still smiling to me as well, because I invested a lot of money, and so I will end my life uh, maybe owing money to banks, but who cares? But maybe you'll have a few bottles of Montrachet, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. who cares? <laughs> uh, well, I guess at Montrachet you do uh, Chardonnay, uh, but you also mentioned two vineyards that uh, the domain started out with, and I think they're both uh, very important. Uh, the Claudie Montluzan, mm -hmm. uh, you do uh, Elgoutier. Um, how is well, this, this is that? something, you know, when you say that, and start to be a little bad. Yeah? Yeah. Forget the grape in Burgundy. Mm -hmm. In Burgundy, I told you we have 1,500 appellations, and this is the most important. Who cares what the grape is? Today, in the new world, we produce wines under the name of the grape which is a nonsense. I, I say truly, this is a nonsense. <laughs> when I see a wine from Burgundy, like say Bourgogne Rouge, underneath written Pinot Noir, it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. Why would you put the name of the grape on a Burgundy bottle? You don't, don't, don't do that in Bordeaux. Have you ever seen a, a, a Bordeaux wines with the, with, with the grapes on it? Nope. Never. Nope. Never. Never. So, in Burgundy, the plant is a tool, as uh, the sun is a tool, as the rock is a tool, everything together makes the wine. And the, the, the plant is the vector between the underground and the glass of wine, nothing else. And so we have to find the real good plant to extract the essence of the appellation of the terroir at one, one point. So before the phylloxera, we had more than two grapes to grow everything in Burgundy. And we had especially four noble grapes, two for reds and two for white. For reds, we had also the Gamay. Everybody decided that the Gamay is only good to make Beaujolais. We had Gamay in all, Gamay rows or plants in all what are today the Grand Cru. And I have maps from, from uh, the 18th century, 17th century, in, on which they put, where they put the Gamay, the, 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 the Pinot Noir uh, or whatever. Pinot was not written the same way at that time, but, so just, but for the whites, we had uh, Aligoté and, and, and Chardonnay half-half planted. Chardonnay is a plant that is fragile, that needs a lot of soil to grow, uh, and then uh, extract the, the authenticity of the terroir. Then the, the Aligoté is more rustical and needs, uh, doesn't need that much food to grow. So you planted the Chardonnay down the slopes, where the soil is thicker, and you planted the uh, Aligoté up on the, on, on the hill, where the soil is thinner. It's gravity, it's easy to understand. So what we ask to a plant is to establish itself with the horizontal roots in the soil to feed the plant. And then the plant, the second year after plantation, will send very tiny roots vertically down, down to 8 to 10 meters, uh, generally speaking, in Burgundy. And these roots are important. These are extracting the, the flavors and aromas. And would it be an aligoté or a chardonnay? It has to do the job. So aligoté and chardonnay have no real taste itself. They are, if, if you plant it in the right soil, it will extract the right flavors and aromas. So <coughs> when the phylloxera destroyed everything in Burgundy, some winemakers had 10 years with no income, no, no, no crop. And when we found that the system of grafting was efficient, everybody was replacing the white grapes by Chardonnay, because they knew Chardonnay was giving very quickly good grapes. They just forgot why it was giving good grapes, because it was planted down the hill on a thick soil. The plant had more food 
to grow. Then the aligoté needed a little more time to establish itself and then send the, the tiny roots down. <clears throat> so they replanted the Chardonnay on top of the stopes and it didn't grow. So the reason why the Chardonnay was faster was simply because where it was grown had not the grape itself. That's it. So people had, you know, they were crazy. They, they were willing to have uh, income. So the Chardonnay was good. So we plant Chardonnay everywhere. So this was a big mistake. Uh, because it took more time for the Chardonnay to grow on top of the, of the hill. But my ancestor, William, I told you they were from a rich family, so he had no problem with income. So he said, okay, it has been planted with uh, Aligote grape here forever. I will replant Aligote. So in 1911, he replanted Aligote grapes up there. This is the plants actually with, that are producing the wine, nothing else but the, the one from 1911, today still. And uh, it, it was great. So I, I, this is a gift. He made us uh, to, to, to keep it because it's a real wine uh, of Burgundy grown and produced exactly like it was 200 years ago. Today we have more wines, uh, I would say, modern. Uh, if I'm bad, I said the beverages made from wine and oak. See? So, Chardonnay plus new oak is a universal recipe for me. So today, we sometimes it's difficult to decide if the wine is from Meursault or if it's from uh, uh, Willamette Valley or if it's from uh, Russian River. It's, sometimes it's difficult when it's a Chardonnay. So this is why we have we still have this. But you did some replantings, didn't you? Yeah. You took some Chardonnay out and. Uh... Yeah, my father replanted Chardonnay because he was uh, he has no authorization to do it another way. My grandfather planted some Pinot Blanc, but this was a, a kind of mutation from Gouge, you know, the same as uh, Gouge makes uh, white in, in Saint-Georges. So this has, has been uh, removed uh, by myself, and I replanted uh, uh, Aligoté. Uh, during, uh, so it's not in use yet, but in 2006 I replanted some Aligoté. And the, the, the AOC, uh, 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 how do you say, law uh, yeah. has been rewritten. And I am uh, now. I have the accordance of the law to replant the Ligoté in this place. So it was forbidden. For some it years. was forbidden. But my, my my appellation was not forbidden because it has been classified in 1935 with a plant that are still existing. So I can keep the old. I, I was not uh, authorized to uh, replant uh, new ones, but I did and, uh, in '06. But in in 2011, I had the accordance, so I'm I'm okay. <laughs> But it's nature. So, you know, human beings are trying to make laws, laws, but, but it's sometimes against nature. I cannot stand it. So I thought we should talk a little bit about uh, Claudie Laroche as well, because you named it, uh, you, you just uh, explained it shortly about the Dijon clones, how they came. And since we are in an American restaurant, we of course see a lot of uh, Dijon clone names on, uh, on wine bottles, but also producers are really uh, keen to tell you what kind of uh, Clones they planted, but your domain, of course, uh, has really uh, a part to play in that history. So, could you explain a bit more deeply uh, what what are in the Claude de la Roche and how it how it came so? Uh... Well, it's easy to understand that uh, uh, in order to uh, I go back to what I said already, maybe, but to make it clear, to get the best wine possible, you have to have the best berries, the best grapes. So, to get the best berries, you have to have the best plants, and then the soil is important too. So. Altogether, already my grandfather was aware that we needed to find a system to, to get better grapes. Because uh, I told you we had sicknesses in Burgundy everywhere. I mean, including after the phylloxera, because they were planted to make 
volume, not to make uh, selected uh, berries and so on. So my grandfather was already uh, trying to find the best plants. So he was not grafting himself, so he had to go through some fellows that did not a good job and so on. So they replanted a vine in 1954, my grandfather and my father, in which they had already selected plants. So when in the early 60s, uh, the French government and the people from Burgundy, especially from the government, all together and winemakers together, decided to try a way to find uh, good grapes, good good plants. Uh, uh, my father says, oh, why don't you come to my place here in Claude La Roche? We already have a vine, which is a, something like half an hectare, in which we have selected plants, the ancestor of the clone, so to say. So what they did, and they, you know, you, uh, the system is to put a ribbon on, on a plant that you think it's a good one, and each time you see something wrong, you eliminate the rubber. So at the end, after two, three, four, ten years, uh, most of the time on 1,000 ribbons, you have uh, ten left. But in this vineyard, there are more left. So a lot of uh, plants have been taken to, to, be, to, to do more experimentation in a laboratory, a big lab we have in Burgundy. A lab, it's a piece of land that, where we plant. And out of it, I would say something like uh, 30 uh, plants came out for being really among the best. And they were all coming from the Claude Laroche. Some are, were coming from Dangerville, from Gouges, but not much, so to say. And from other places as well, huh? in, in Marsanet. Uh, but, and so uh, experiment, experimentations went on. And then after a while, uh, they decided to classify and put a number. So from the very famous Dijon clone, 113, 114, 115, 667, 777, 778, all these are coming from our vineyard of Claude Laroche. <coughs> the vine is still alive, very young, because it's my age. I planted <laughs> so, so, uh, and, uh, and the mother plant is still living there. So it's, it's funny to know that uh, we, have, uh, we have given a lot of children all over the planet, the world, yeah. but I, pe people start to know we are at the origin, but we didn't want to. My, my father, I mean, has to be opposed for, for, for this job because he, he took a lot of time to him to just because he was selecting himself as uh, after a while. So yeah, it's uh, we are proud of that. So how would you plant an vineyard if you, if you bought one or had to replant? No, we do we do replant sometimes, and what I do myself is to plant, if possible, twelve to fifteen different clones. Because if you have one clone which is supposed to be the best, let's say 115 or 777, they are very famous too. And if one day a new sickness comes, especially on this clone, you will have only your tears, nothing else. So I think that uh, richness is in diversity. So this is why I don't call them clone, but selected plants. Because, because uh, I think that if you have uh, 12 to 15 different uh, selected plants in the same vineyard, uh, one year they will react differently, another year another one will, will be better and so on. So this is what I like to, and we still we still look for, for new uh, new selected plants. Uh, sometime we have one, uh, one which will really come out one day which as, as a very good one. We, we still work on it, but gently. It takes time. It takes time, yeah. yeah. Generations. But thank you very much for your time. Uh, I think My uh, pleasure. we'll go to the tasting now. Yeah, uh, why not?
one is one is uh, we will do taste the wine, but don't forget that the wine is made to be drunk. Yeah, of course it is <laughs> with friends. I will do that. I'm off tonight, so. <laughs>